Hey, everybody. Dr. S here. I just want to thank you for tuning in and listening to today's episode. I am really excited to share this guest with you because as many of us know, even though we're all in different fields um, and all on our own individual entrepreneurship journeys, it's really hard um, to make it as a creative. And yes, entrepreneurship is hard in general, but I think that creatives sometimes have a very unique challenge because there's always that interpretation about what is art and what is valuable and what is worthy. And so I met, I came across this guest's work while I was in France one year, and I just knew that I had to share it with you um, so that you could kind of hear her story and get some tips on how to really make it as a creative. And so today I'm bringing on the show Jessie Canelos. She's a French-American illustrator, author, and food stylist. She's based in Paris, but she also travels back and forth between Paris and New York. Uh, But she has co-authored the best-selling book, Paris and Stride, um, as well as An Edible Paradise, uh, which is a coloring book. And she also has appeared in Vogue, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, uh, one of my favorite brands, Free People, and many, many others, uh, Instagram, Penguin Press, um, has published some of her texts as well as HarperCollins. And so I think she is a very worthy person to learn a lot from, and I'm really excited to welcome her here. So join me in welcoming Jessie Canelos. Jessie, welcome to the show. Welcome to the She Heals the World talk show with Dr. S, the place to hear stories of heart-driven women creatively living free. Our episodes highlight conversations and insights that support the values of self-care, creative and personal freedom, slower living, happiness, health, and wellness to help you live your absolute best life. To be a part of the movement and join the conversation, step inside our free Facebook group, She Heals the World, and say hello. It brings me great joy to bring you our next episode. Thank you so much for having me and greetings from Paris. You are such an amazing creative and um, bringing you on will really kind of show our audience like how to build a beautiful business using your your talents. I think it's everyone's dream to be able to find something that they do really well and be able to make a living off of it. And you are doing that every single day. So I just would love for you to share with us, how did you get started? Sure. So first of all, I grew up, I would say, kind of in a creative family. My parents work, um, worked for an inner city ministry at the time, but there was always a thread of creativity. My dad played guitar. My mom was an art teacher. And so from a very early age, I found that creativity was my first sense of independence. So I'd always be making books, you know, about my family dog, or I would destroy the kitchen making you know, five-layer cake. So I've always been very ambitious in my creative pursuits, and I've always been able to lose myself completely in those things. And that's also, you know, how I kind of figured out my identity. I always love expressing myself through clothing and music and art and all these things. So it was pretty obvious from early on that something was going on and that I wasn't like everyone else. But um, so anyway, I, I got a, a scholarship uh, to Denison University in central Ohio. 
and I studied theater and studio art there and um, was on a path to pursue costume design because I, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a musical theater actress, but I was too afraid to to audition. And so I started working in the costume shop and uh, really loved that. And from then on, I was kind of on that path of becoming a, a costume designer. So long story short, that's kind of the background of, of what led me to where I am now. Mm. Now, I noticed that you are known for your illustrations. And um, I'm wondering if drawing was something that was always a part of your, your childhood in a big way, or, or what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up? You know, I, first of all, yeah, I'd like to be straightforward and say, you know, there weren't really any professional artists around me growing up. And so I knew I wanted to be an artist of some kind, but I really had no idea of how I would be able to, to do that because, you know, <laughs> I had no idea how to make a living, how to actually pursue something like that. So when I was little, I wanted to be either a writer, a makeup artist, a magazine editor, or a chef. So I was really into food. And so that was always kind of in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. So something creative, but I didn't really have any examples of how to, to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so why, why Paris? Like what inspired you to do that? Why did you go that route? So I just graduated and I had a year before I had to pay off my student loan. So I figured it was my last year of total freedom. And so I had a French friend my senior year who really encouraged me just to, you know, move to Paris as one does. <laughs> so it was totally crazy at the time. I found a job online as an au pair and uh, it was a pretty easy way more or less to move to Paris because I had a visa set up. I had a place to stay and a small income. And so a couple of weeks later, I was on my way to, to Paris and I always just was so drawn to the world of fashion and art and food and design and all those things. So it was kind of a year off of, of uh, adventure. And I hoped I would have been able to, to speak French at the end of the, that first year. And, you know, it, it happened little by little. So, so, okay, so you moved to Paris, which must have been, like, totally scary. Like, what, was your family supportive of that move? Or were they like, are you crazy? What are you going to do? How did that happen? Yeah. Well, first of all, they, they did think I was crazy. <laughs> I thought I was crazy. But, um, I mean, I feel like the leap was, it wasn't a huge leap because I did have kind of a life set up. I had a job. I had a place to stay, et cetera. But, it, um I don't know. It was very different. First of all, culturally, it was very different. I was living with a family, and so it was uh, a lot to learn very quickly as far as customs and getting along and also being so in someone else's space. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was living just in a room in, in the family's apartment, and so I would just go out and walk around pretty much all night long just because I wanted to have my own independence and my own space. And so... It's, you know, when I started thinking through ideas visually and uh, it was kind of a sense of catharsis drawing and figuring out where I was in this space, this new this new land of of confusion. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so when did you start drawing seriously, like thinking about, OK, I think I need to make this shift and really become an illustrator? So. Uh, I mentioned I had worked in costume design a bit, so I had accepted to do a, a master's degree in costume design in Boston um, after my first year in, in Paris. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time um, because of my year it ended and I felt like I wanted to pursue an MFA because, you know, I was thinking about going the, the academic route and, you know, there's a the pending uh, financial crisis too. So I thought it would be the most logical thing to do. But finally, the, the program didn't really work, work out for me. But at the same time, I was drawing intensively in my costume sketches and um, I quickly learned that it, drawing in general was something that I could do all night long or something that I could just lose myself in. And so I think those are the moments where I really started to enjoy drawing and really committing to getting better and just following that that impulse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think like I can so relate to you on this because I, I went the academic route and in my heart, I love illustration. And I always say like when I'm, you know, in my downtime, I kind of like doodle and draw little things, but I'm pretty bad at it. And so I guess my question to you is, do you think anybody can create a career, even if it's part time, as an illustrator doing their own illustrations? Or do you feel like folks really need to be professionally trained, even if they don't feel like they have the the natural gift that I think you may have, have had your whole life? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. I mean, part of it is a small bit of talent. A lot of it is just having that fire to to pursue, you know, when you have an idea and inspiration. Um, I mean, I, I'm self-taught, watercolor is self-taught, and so you can definitely see it in my style, too, that, that sets me apart is because I don't have this traditional school training of watercolor, which can be very formal and a little bit static. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a matter of having the fire, a little bit of talent, and really just working really hard to, to get better and to to create the best possible presentation. So, I mean, that's the other thing about, you know, this MFA program that I wanted to do. I don't think it's necessarily good for artists to do MFA programs, especially if they come out with crippling debt, because, you know, being an artist and starting out is is not easy, and it takes many years to get a steady stream of income coming in. It's still not always certain, and so um, I think MFA programs can be wonderful, especially if you're in New York or a city where it's, related to a network, a professional network that you can jump into right away. But otherwise, I'd, I'd rather be straightforward and say, you know, be cautious when you're taking on an MFA because it's not necessarily obligatory in the whole scheme of things either. So speaking of that with coming out of debt and, and going into college and going into a master's program and worrying about how am I going to actually make a living from this, what, what was the turning point for you where you saw that, like, wow, I think I need to be a full-time illustrator and I think I'm going to be able to make a living from this. Yes. So back to the story, I don't know, this isn't really a very chronological timeline, but um, (laughs) when I was in Paris, I met uh, my now husband. So we were married in 2011 Mm -hmm. and that's when I moved to Paris more or less indefinitely. Um, and so I was living in New York right before then and was very intimidated to move back to Paris because I couldn't really imagine what I would do professionally. And so I decided before I moved back that I would do anything in my power to find something to do and commit myself 5,000%. So I knew that I liked illustration. I started a blog when I moved back, uh, just recounting my experiences about being a newlywed in Paris and all the customs started adding little illustrations just because I was a really bad photographer. And so, and my husband was very encouraging and said like, Hey, you should show your illustrations. You could work for magazines and this and that. And so I spent the time to, to get better and to 
to improve my craft and put together a portfolio. And little by little, I was able to to start contacting people. And I, at the same time, I also started uh, working as a food stylist. So I started two different creative practices at the same time. And uh, I think that was good to, A, develop my network because I was starting over completely in a new country mm-hmm. and um, was kind of a side gig at the same time. So while I was starting to get commissions as an illustrator, I also had other work on the side. So at that point, yeah, there was a moment where I came to France and definitely was a very extreme situation, but I, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to be an illustrator and I have a little bit of talent. I'm going to take the time to really just do the best that I can. And over the span of many years, it, it got better and better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was your first big gig? I mean, you have some heavy hitters, on your resume, my darling. I mean, <laughs> uh, Instagram on here, free people who I love, you know, Harper, uh-huh. Penguin, and then you have all of your books. And so what was the big, what was the big gig that you got that really like excited you and changed your life? Well, I guess you have to start from the beginning, but um, I when I started to have a good enough portfolio, I bought all the magazines at the magazine stand. Um, and circled the names of all the art directors. And the first person that I called, uh, an art director, said, hey, why don't you come into our office next week? And so right on the spot, they they commissioned a 10-page spread in their magazine, which is a, a French food magazine. So it was crazy how that happened. And then little by little, um, some other big ones were, I don't know, just publishing books has been a big part of it. And um I don't know. I mean, as a freelancer, I try not to count too much on one specific moment. There have been a lot of moments where I thought, you know, this is the one that's going to it's going to be it, you know, but it's mm-hmm. not always that evident, I think, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. So there have been some some nice things along the way, but there hasn't been one defining moment where everything changed. Yeah. So what inspires you? I mean, I see when when you have these beautiful illustrations, mostly of of Paris, do you find yourself just walking the streets and sitting down in front of a cafe and just drawing what you see? Or do you mostly get inspiration from some magazines and some photos that you take? Like, what's your creative process? It depends. I mean, I... I'm very inspired just by, you know, what I call everyday mundane things. So if I'm, you know, seeing a pigeon walking down the street, uh, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's more of a play on words. Maybe it's something that's happening in the news. Um, I try to keep on top of, of U.S. news as well. So it really depends. And um, I keep a sketchbook, but it's more of a chicken scratch sketchbook where I just write down little phrases or things like that and sometimes things come to me and sometimes it takes a little bit longer to to find a visual to match up with an idea so it's a mix of a lot of different things but uh I also walk a lot I I think it's a really great way to find ideas and to decompress and sometimes the best ways to find ideas are by not working I find Mm, totally which can be hard to to admit to oneself but it's nice to unwind and just try to do something else. It's usually when things happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you hand draw everything. It, it sounds like it doesn't sound like you're walking around with your computer and using like a special. Well, mm-hmm. No, I use watercolor on paper. And so I mostly work in my studio, which is about a 15 minute walk from my, my home. But, um, 
I do have a little sketchbook. Sometimes I'll sketch something live, but otherwise it's, I take photos of my iPhone and uh, it, it really depends on, on what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people are listening and they're like, oh my God, I want that life. Like I want to be walking <laughs> to New York City with my iPhone to take a picture and come back to my studio and draw it up and nice paint it with watercolors. So I guess for those who are really excited and inspired about creating a creative career, regardless of, of really what it is, whether it's in the art field or it's uh, design or food styling or photography, or just if you're a personal brand and you need to bring more uh, creative work into how you show up, what, what what would be some advice that you would give folks? Like what hurdles did you overcome in the process? And um, and then how did you kind of get through those periods? Uh, I'd say, you know, I, I didn't just start a creative career, but I started it in a, a new country. And so that was a huge learning curve, just learning about French um, clients and different demands and also cross-cultural things. I mean, I speak French perfectly, but there have been some misunderstandings because I haven't understood a brief and this and that. And so, uh, yeah, there's, you know, France is such a powerhouse country where a lot of graphic designers and artists and all different kinds of people flock because it has such a strong visual culture. And so, I don't suffer too badly from imposter syndrome, but at the beginning, it's it's hard to to find the confidence to pick up the phone and call people, especially if you don't have that traditional training or you know a fancy diploma and this and that. So uh, I'm also very sensitive, and so there have been some professional um, unfortunate things that have happened that have been hard to get over. But uh, it's been a good learning experience to just be kind to myself and keep pushing forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That tenacity and perseverance, even in spite of some of the no's, right? Um, yes, it's it's a job where there's a lot of waiting and it's a job where there's a lot of rejection, too. And it's very much um, your style has to match with a certain brief. And so it's it can be very disappointing sometimes if you're not chosen for a project that you're really excited about. But the thing that I like to do is try to generate my own work as well. So if I have a story, I try to create it visually. And um, that gives me the steam to to keep going. Mm, and I, I think this is a perfect segue because, um, you know, another reason why I thought you'd be so phenomenal to speak with today is not just from the work that you've done that's been featured, but from the work that you've created where you have gotten published um, and you have been able to take your artwork and kind of put it up on the shelf and say, this is my design, this is my story, and I'm putting it out there. And I know that, you know, whether folks are looking to get published in a creative fashion or whether they are actual writers and they are content creators, you know, we're all content creators of some of some sort. And so yes. I'm wondering, what tips do you have for folks um, to get published if they want to take their work to a bigger stage? Yes, well, I put together a couple of tips, but the first one is a little bit harsh at, at first glance, but um, my, my literary agent said, you know, if you want to be somebody in publishing, you have to be somebody in real life. So mm. it means that, you know, if you want to be a writer, then then write, then publish your work, you know, um, find a regular platform that you can share. And if you want to be the best, uh, I don't know, vegan life coach, then teach you know, teach that kind of subject and do everything you can to be known in your field because that is the way that you will be, your work will be valued if you do publish a book. Mm. So that's number one. 
Um, number two is do your research and stay curious. Um, for me personally, I've, I've always been very interested in food and travel and um, how those two subjects are told visually. So my first book came from being very on top of trends. So it was probably four years ago, and I noticed that coloring books were a big trend in France at the time. And it, I was shocked that they weren't so in the States. And so I had an idea. I sent it to um, an editor who I previously worked with. And the following week, I'm, I'm not kidding you, there were articles in the New York Times and PR all over the place that coloring books were the, the latest trend um, in, in the U.S. So at that point, I was able to sell the idea for my first book because I was on top of what was going on and uh, was able to create a, a pitch based on that information. So I'd say, you know, if you're interested in illustration, stay on top of what other people are doing. That way you can find an idea that's relevant. And a lot of times, even if you find an idea that's relevant now, you have to remember that publishing a book will come out, you know, the book itself will come out in a year or two from now. So it has to be something that has some, some kind of um, weight to it. Mm-hmm. I just want to interject here because I yes. think this is, a, this is such a good profound point, but it also brought up another question for me where yes. I was like, how would, how would somebody just call an editor? Like, where would you even find, I'm sure like, you know, people dream of having their book, of creating a book and having it like in Urban Outfitters or Anthropology or yes. people. And like, how would you even get that going? You know, who would you even call? Yes. Well, that's going back to number one, which was be somebody was I previously was commissioned by this editor to illustrate a book that she was editing. And so that's how I made that contact. Mm. So and then the, the following point is ask for help. So uh, to publish a book in the States, you can find a submission page on any publishing house's website but if you're sending a proposal it's going into a, a total void you know maybe you'll get a response but it could be months if not years so uh, usually in the states authors work through an agent who sells the idea and helps you to get the best possible deal so if you do have an idea and if you do have some reputability if you have you know a platform already you can reach out to an agent and get them to they help you clean up your proposal so everything is in really good shape, and then they have the contacts already at the publishing houses to to see if anyone is interested. Mm-hmm. So you're pro-agent. You don't recommend people going through the process on their, on their own. Uh, I did my first book without an agent and my second book with an agent, and the first one was okay, and I had a good enough relationship with my editor where I felt like it was okay, but the second time around, it's it's nice to have somebody who knows the business, who knows, who really follows the whole process. So if something doesn't look right, then the agent can let you know. And um, it's, I just think moving forward, it was a good, a good thing for me. Mm-hmm. But it's not obligatory. So yeah, yeah. Really? So number four is so writing a book, as everyone knows, is not an easy process. And so number four is trust your intuition and find support. So if you are working with someone and you don't feel really great about it, or if you don't click with your editor, then just surround yourself with as much support as possible and make sure that you feel comfortable because it is a very draining process. So make sure that you have people who have your best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. And number five is don't assume anything, which means that just because you turn in a book doesn't mean the work is done. Um, publishing is changing every day and, uh, a lot of publishing houses rely 
extensively on the author themselves to sell the book. So that means, you know, thinking of pitching ideas related to the book to help get it a little bit of a buzz going. It's about uh, just calling favors if you need to. So, um, you know, once you turn in the book, it doesn't mean it's over. It's, you know, the work has just begun pretty much. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Yeah. And, yes. and I've heard that that process can be pretty brutal. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm not sugarcoating anything here for right. you. But the truth is here. So. <laughs> Beautiful, Jesse. I, I love those tips. I think that that's so helpful for people to kind of get a, a really clear view of, okay, if I really want this to happen, how can I start to put it in motion? Um, exactly. I'm like, if you have any resources that you can leave us with that have helped you find a community of people to make this happen, whether it's finding a literary agent or finding editors or any kind of either whether, you know, websites or journals or books or anything that people can go to to kind of not start from the ground up. I mean, I know folks who go through websites and comb through to find who is the editor. And maybe that's just the process. But I'm wondering if you found anything that has helped you to make that process easier of contacting people. Well, you know, I guess LinkedIn is pretty good because you can find out who a person, you know, an editor working specifically at uh, a publishing houses. Otherwise, just go to a bookstore and look at books that you like or that you admire. And then, you know, the editor is always credited as well. So it's always just about making an extended Excel list of all these little contacts that you can find along the way. And then usually this is total <laughs> freelance stalking uh, 101, but... <laughs> Uh, but if usually if you find one email address from from a publishing house, then you can just plug in that person's name and then you can you have an email address. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, for illustrators in particular, there's a really great book called the Graphic Artists Guild Handbook for Pricing and Ethical Guidelines. And it is amazing for illustrators because it lays out the pricing of all different kinds of projects, whether it's editorial. Um, so it's, you know, we can't talk about creative work without talking about pricing and making sure that your work is paid and that your work is valued. And so this, this book is really, it's to my left side, you know, all day, every day. And it's the first place I go if I'm being asked to work on different projects to kind of know what I should ask for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Jesse, this has been so amazing. I always say like your work just brings me back to my childhood. It's like such a breath of fresh air. Every time I look at your Instagram or look through any of your texts, it's just really inspirational. And it reminds us all that, you know, you can do what you love. You know, you can make a living from doing what you love. And so Um, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your story and sharing these tips for getting published, because again, this is whether or not you are an illustrator, you can follow these tips to start to put your, your first book out there. And, um, and I'm sure many will be, will be doing that. So if you could give any piece of advice to your 10 year younger self, what would it be? experience is experience and it'll help fuel everything down the road so you know even when I was in France for a couple of years trying to figure everything out I I thought I was doing nothing but at the same time I was learning French which at the end of the day 
helped me develop a really great client in France a couple years later. And so, you know, everything, if you're an artist, you need that experience. If you're a novelist, you have to live life. And so I just say, just, um, just enjoy it and keep sketching and everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be okay. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesse. How can our audience find you and support your work? Well, on Instagram, oh, first of all, my book, Paris and Stride, an insider's walking guide, is available wherever books are sold, preferably in an independent bookstore. Uh, otherwise, I'm on Instagram, Jesse Canellis Weiner is my handle. I have a website, jessiecanellisweiner.com. I have a blog as well, called thefrancofly.com. I'm, I'm on all the channels, so <laughs> yes, well, we hopefully you can find me. For sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Awesome, Jesse. Thank you so much for blessing us today and for giving us these amazing tips and sharing your work. Keep pushing and we support you. Lots of love. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. And as always, for more resources, as you continue to live out your beautiful mission of healing the world, and grow your beautiful business, you can head to www.shehealstheworld.com forward slash freebie to see what new resources I have in store for you. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. And I can't wait to see you at the next episode.